Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so happy you tuned in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Ouchie. Ouchie is a free app for iOS and Android that provides solutions for chronic pain management. Today's guest is someone who spent the majority of her life without an invisible illness, and when it hit, it turned her world upside down. Doing everyday tasks such as brushing her teeth and stepping in and out of the shower were not possible for her. Melissa Marins is here to talk about receiving a diagnosis, how it has affected her life over the last few years, and what it's been like to manage after giving birth to her son a few months ago. So welcome, Melissa. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. So happy to have you here. So it's interesting because I always ask my guests to send over a bio and get a bit of an overview of who they are, whether I know them or not. And sometimes people immediately send something over and they have it and they've sent it a million times. And then there's been a bunch of people who are like, oh, what do I do? How do I put something together that defines me with or without an illness? And you were one of those people where it was like, how do I explain who I am and what I do? Because your health has really taken over your life the last few years. So if you're meeting someone new these days, who are you and how do you define yourself? That's always such a tough question. And it was obviously a huge struggle in the beginning, shortly following my diagnosis. And, you know, even a few years out, I still really struggle with it. You know, I try to keep it as basic as possible. Sometimes I just say, hey, I'm an interior designer. And I kind of just leave it at that. And if they want to ask more questions, they can. And other times, if I'm feeling talkative and open, I'll just say, I actually have a muscle disease. I don't work. I kind of just manage my health as a full-time job. Yeah. It's always different. Yeah, understandable. So tell us a little bit about what your condition is and how you were diagnosed. Sure. So I have an autoimmune disease called dermatomyositis. It's a mouthful. Um, it's characterized by very profound muscle weakness and fatigue. So the easiest way to explain it to people is my immune system is cannibalizing my muscles. I got pretty lucky with my diagnosis in that it was identified very quickly. So starting in about August 2015, you know, I was a really active person my whole life. Went to Soul Cycle several times a week. I was a dancer. I was always running from here to there. I was working really long hours, had really high energy. And then suddenly, towards the end of summer, I just couldn't deal. I couldn't do anything. I would walk to the grocery store and come home, and I'd need to take a two-hour nap. I just couldn't move. That sort of pattern continued for several months. By mid-November, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't put my socks on. I couldn't get out of bed without my husband lifting me up first. I couldn't wash my hair. I couldn't brush my teeth because I couldn't lift my arms really above my waist. I could barely hold my cell phone because my fingers were so achy and weak. And, you know, these things sort of creep up on you very slowly and then all at once. So kind of at that point where brushing my teeth wasn't possible anymore is when I thought, okay, something is obviously wrong. Wow. 
So where did you go from there? How did you decide what type of doctor or treatment to seek? First, I just went to my primary care physician. And when I explained my symptoms to her, she kind of just told me like, look, you're in your 20s, you're working really hard, you live in New York, you're probably just exhausted, you're probably not sleeping enough, you're probably not working out enough, you're probably not eating right. And the whole time she's talking, I'm thinking to myself, I just don't think that's true because I do eat pretty well, I try to work out regularly, and every time I've been going to SoulCycle, it's just making me feel even worse. So I don't really know what's going on. Well, and it's a wild thing because I feel like I hear this all the time from people on the podcast and in general of people who go to a doctor. I dealt with this too. And it's like, oh, bronchitis, pneumonia, no big deal. And then you find out you have this like major condition and people are sort of scared to diagnose or misdiagnose. So they don't. So where'd you go from there? Yeah, it's so crazy. So she obviously did my blood work. And a few days later, I get a phone call that she ran a certain test to measure the breakdown of my muscles. It's a very specific type of enzyme that would never usually be tested on anyone. And for a normal, healthy person, that enzyme should be well below 100, well below, usually in the teens or the low 20s. Mine was over 10,000, which is absolutely insane. (laughs) It was insane. And this is nothing you had ever had tested before, as far as you know? No, because it's not something you test on a young, healthy person. So from there, she directed me to a rheumatologist because it's related to inflammation. And this is where I think I just got so lucky compared to most people who are struggling with strange and rare illnesses. He did a whole examination on me and within minutes was able to diagnose me. With about 99% accuracy, he said, I think you have dermatomyositis. He didn't say I know. He said I think. Things moved very quickly after that. I had a surgery the next day, a muscle biopsy, which confirmed my diagnosis. A couple days after that, I had to get an EMG, which is a neuromuscular test, which was actually pretty shitty. Uh, You basically lay there for two hours while they prick you with needles. It's not like acupuncture. It's not like relaxing, um, stress release. They're pricking you because they want you to feel the pain and get a reaction and see how fast your muscles respond with your brain and the pain. I don't know. It's a little scientific, but it was pretty shitty. Um, And all those things combined just confirmed the diagnosis. So within a week of getting that first blood test from my primary, I had a confirmed diagnosis, which, as you can imagine, was both absolutely terrifying, but also a huge relief because I thought to myself, okay, I'm not crazy. I know what's happening. And now that I know, we can start working on a plan. So what was that plan? So that's the thing with these like weird autoimmune diseases is, you know, people don't know much about them. And a treatment that works for one person is definitely not going to work for another person. It's I know very that. Oh, specific. so well. Yeah. So over the course of the next six months, I was basically on a trial and error 
with different treatments and medications. And in those six months, I think, were probably some of the hardest months of my entire life. How did you navigate that? You know, it's so funny because when, you, when you're going through it, you kind of, well, I don't know if this is the case for everybody, but for me specifically, when I was going through the hardest time, I had this mentality of just like, okay, power through, just power through it. Like when you're going through something, when you're in the thick of it, you don't want to sit there and pity yourself. You know how you feel. You know you feel like shit. You know that your life just got turned upside down and you know that like right now your life just fucking sucks. And so I navigated it first and foremost by trying to stay as positive as humanly possible. I just told myself over and over again, I'm going to get through this. We're going to find a way out of it. It might take a really long time. I might take 10 steps forward and then 20 steps back. It is what it is, but I'm going to get through it. So the biggest thing, I think, was just trying to stay as strong mentally as possible. And then, of course, I relied very heavily on my friends and my family. Frankly, without them, I think I would still be immobile. When you talk about navigating this with friends and family, what kind of support did they provide? Did you share with them what you needed? Were you relying on them to help you figure things out? What did that look like? So the real answer is all of the above. And I think that just to preface this response, um, when you're sick and you're not really sure what's going on, your needs are changing day to day hour to hour, sometimes minute to minute. And learning how to ask people for help was also one of the hardest things because half the time I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know what what I needed somebody to do for me. I didn't know what my limit was. I didn't want to burden anybody. I didn't want to scare anybody. You know, I didn't want to scare my husband. And, you know, sometimes there were some scary things happening with me and I just didn't want to say anything because... I didn't want him freaking out because I needed him to be strong for me. How did you decide what to disclose and what not to disclose? I think that, you know, you kind of rely on different people for different things. You know, I had one friend who, if I just needed someone to sit next to me while I cried, I asked her if she could come over. Um, You have another friend who, when you just want someone to laugh with, you see if she can come over and just laugh for a few hours. You know, you really learn a lot about the people around you um, and what you can rely on them for. And honestly, I just took whatever I could get because I needed the help. If Gabe had to work late one night, I used to text friends and say, hey, can you babysit me tomorrow? (laughs) And it just, like, kind of added this humor to all of it. Yeah. Humor is so important through all of this. So were you telling people the steps of everything you were going through, the new medications you were on, the doctor's appointments, or was it just, I need someone here to support me, whether I share things or not? It was the latter. I need somebody here, whether I share things or not. Um, As you know, when you're going through these like crazy trial and error treatments and, you know, one week you actually might be feeling fine and then the next week you're not moving again, it can be really confusing to people. It's confusing to the patient. And it's sometimes just easier not to talk about it 
to talk about anything else. When I was in the thick of it, when I was really sick, I I would explain to my friends that my ability to do things throughout the day, you could think of it as like a piggy bank. So I start the day with, say, 10 coins, and everything I do takes a certain number of coins. So just having a 15-minute conversation with someone could take like five coins out of my piggy bank. And I knew that I needed the rest of those coins to go to the bathroom. So like sometimes if I wanted to, if I desperately just wanted to talk to a friend, but I knew that I still had to go to the bathroom a few more times that day and then get in bed at the end of the day, I'm going to have to forego the conversation because I need those coins to be able to go from the sofa to the bed. This was a major topic of conversation when I interviewed Aaron Curtis on episode 11 and we talked about the spoon theory. So it's Mm -hmm. something I don't know if you're familiar with. Yeah, I am. But it's a really interesting concept of how many spoons do you need in order to get through these basic tasks throughout the day. So it's been a few years now. And when we were going back and forth in scheduling this, you sent me a bunch of photos of yourself. So your image and your weight has really shifted over the last few years. Can you talk a little bit about why that is and what that's been like for you? Yeah, I think that that was another thing that totally shook me because I wasn't expecting it. You know, I think I mentioned before I was sick, I was a super active, healthy person, um, really confident, whether it was warranted or not. I didn't really care what people thought of me. Then I get sick, and one of the things that I had to do was take a ton of steroids, especially in the beginning. And steroids come with some really terrible side effects. And the one that hit me really hard was the weight gain. Again, was not expecting it. But the combination of the weight gain from the steroids that most people get when they're on steroids, plus my complete inability to move or exercise, sort of compounded into this crazy off-the-charts weight gain. Um, At one point, I was on a treatment, the treatment that eventually put me into remission, but I'm sure we'll get there. I was gaining 10 pounds a week over five weeks. And that was like the the biggest thing. And like, forget about like what that just does to your body physically, like how it makes you feel when you're not used to carrying that type of weight, like how that feels on your bones and your joints. But just what that does to you and your self-image, like how it messes you up mentally is so crazy. So what did it do to you? I really have not shared this with anyone because I don't want them to feel I don't want anyone to feel bad for me because I do not feel bad for myself. But when I was at my let's just say biggest, I've never felt worse about myself in my entire life. There were times where I just felt absolutely worthless. Um, at that point, when I was that big, I was able to go on very short walks, you know, a couple blocks here, once a day. 
And it was also the summer. And I remember, you know, looking that way. I had nothing to wear on the streets of New York where everybody is, for the most part, like healthy, beautiful, happy. So you think. So you think. You're right. I remember just walking down the street and wishing that I could wear a sign that said, please don't judge me, I'm sick. And that was just the hardest thing. And then even, you know, with like social media, for example, I completely stopped posting pictures on social media. I basically went silent. In hindsight, I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd been upfront from the jump. Um, and eventually I got to a place where I wanted to share what was going on with everybody because I couldn't hide photos anymore. My best friend was getting married and I wanted to be in her wedding and I wanted to be in the pictures and I wanted her to be able to post those photos on social media and be proud of them. And I knew that if I didn't get ahead of that and kind of explain to everyone what was going on, they were going to be totally shocked and not sure what was going on. So eventually I got to a place where I was able to share it. And once I unloaded that, the support that I got from people was absolutely tremendous. So that's one thing I wish I'd done differently. I wish that I'd just been honest from the jump. I think that it would have helped me navigate that a lot easier. I just think when you're so deep in it, you deal with it however you need to deal with it at that moment. And I can totally relate. I mean, I hid my health for 27 years. It's insane. And... I wish that I, you know, had friends that had the same condition as me that I could relate to when I was going through high school and stuff like that. But I think it's one of those things where you don't even know what you need and you want, just like you were talking about how much you share with your friends or your family. You don't even know what you what to do with this. Like you're wrapping your head around this new thing that you're living with that's sort of taken over your identity for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And so I think you just deal with it the way that you deal with it. But I love that you did participate in these photos and start sharing and recognizing and the photos you sent me and we'll definitely share some on the show notes that you guys can check out are just unbelievable. It's like a completely different version of you. When you asked me for a headshot, I was really, really struggling because the last time that I had headshots taken was a few months before I was diagnosed when I might not have been feeling great, but I was certainly like looking my best and I was looking at those headshots and I'm like, well, that doesn't look like me anymore. I don't look like that anymore. That's just not me. That's an outdated version of me that will probably never exist again. I'm smiling because I have a very similar experience. For my mom's birthday, I think it was, I got some photos taken by a friend of mine of me and my parents. And it was a month before I had major surgery. And I look at these photos that are framed and huge in my parents' apartment and I'm like, that's a completely different person. It was like pre-diagnosis. Yeah. And it's like, who is that person? I don't exactly. even remember that person so well anymore. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and of course, I leaned on my family and friends and I sent them my old headshots. And then I sent them this new picture that I had of myself from just a couple months ago. And... You know, it's not the best photo of me, but it's a photo of me and it looks like me. And and we all just decided, you know what, it's so important to just be authentic. And using a headshot from three years ago is totally inauthentic. It's not me anymore. And this is who I am now. And it is what it is. Absolutely.
Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Ouchie. Ouchie is a free app for iOS and Android that provides solutions for chronic pain management. It was developed by people living with chronic pain and the people who care for them. Even though over 120 million Americans suffer from chronic pain, you would never know it. Like with invisible illnesses, people with chronic pain don't always talk about their experiences because they don't want to be defined by their condition. Ouchie is the place where you don't have to be invisible or hurt alone. The app uses evidence-backed tools like cognitive behavioral therapy, pain tracking, community support, access to resources, and integration with clinicians to help people feel better faster. If you have chronic pain, celebrate the accomplishments in the everyday with Ouchie. Check out ouchie.com and download the Ouchie app to see for yourself. And make sure you share with them that you found the app through Made Visible. And now back to the show. So let's talk a little bit about where you are now Mm -hmm. and the treatment that you've had over the last few years and how you've been managing that. You've tried some unsuccessful treatment options, and then you moved over to immunotherapy. Tell us about that experience. So we tried several different, less aggressive treatments in the beginning. None of those worked. One of them actually landed me in the ER. So that one definitely didn't work. And finally, we had to resort to, it was basically our last resort treatment. Um, It was five infusions of this really intense medication. Each infusion lasted between eight and 10 hours over the course of five weeks. So it was one infusion per week. And that was probably the scariest part of the whole thing because it was the last resort and it was also extremely aggressive and not often administered to people because it can be dangerous. But again, I just powered through, I stayed positive. And sure enough, it was this treatment that brought me to remission. So that was from June 2016 to July 2016. And almost immediately, every week, I felt a little bit better every single week. And, you know, I measured that subjectively just based on how I felt when I got up in the morning. But also objectively, I would set a timer on my phone and walk around the block. And every week, I would see how long it would take me. And every week... It would take me, you know, a few seconds less every week to get around the block. And that, of course, in addition to my blood work and all the numbers and all that boring shit, showed me like, hey, this is actually working. This is working. And I think, um, you know, you put on a positive, happy face, but you're always a little scared. It was at this point, though, that I thought, you know what? I actually think I might be getting better. I actually think that this is going to be it. Um, And I'm very lucky and very blessed that it was. So that treatment ended in July um, 2016. And from July through November, my numbers just got better and better. I felt my strength coming back very slowly. My stamina was slowly coming back. 
Um, I noticed it in how frequently I was cooking in the kitchen. I noticed it in the things that I was wearing. Um, For example, moving from very loose-fitting pants that required no, like, very little strength to pull up to actually putting on leggings, which, as you know, are little... You got to use a little elbow grease. Yep. I mentioned to my husband, you know, one night, hey, why don't we go out to dinner? And that was crazy because it was like, when was the last time we did that? Because I haven't had the strength to go out to dinner. I haven't had the strength to sit in a chair. And I'm just suggesting we go out to dinner. Like, that's how I knew that things were getting better. By November, it was sort of official that my immune system was no longer eating my muscles. And that's when I was able to start rebuilding my entire body. What does rebuild your entire body mean? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) This is another thing that people don't think about. Like, you're born and then you build your entire body and your muscles and your entire life just by being alive and living and walking and sitting and holding pencils and moving your neck from left to right. Um, I had to literally rebuild everything. So when I say that my life got consumed by my health, it totally did. Um, I'm someone who I don't like the gray area, which is tough when you have an autoimmune disease. I'm very black and white. And so when my doctor said, all right, you're in remission, you can focus now on building your strength back. I just went like balls to the walls, full force, you know, as much as I could. But it was really intense. I had a really serious physical therapy regimen that I had to do every single day, and that took a ton out of me. Um, I did a lot of yoga, obviously within my limitations. In fact, I chose my yoga studio specifically because they have this gentle yoga class, which is created for people with limitations. I remember my first time walking in there, I was so nervous because I didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know who else was going to be there. And I didn't know what I was actually going to be able to do because it had been so long since I moved. And, you know, I was the youngest person there, which that didn't surprise me. But it was the most supportive community ever. And, you know, it was just baby steps. I took one gentle class a week for, you know, a few months. And then one day, you know, I decided to take like a level one yoga class. And this is, by the way, coming from someone who used to take vinyasa two a couple times a week. Like, (laughs) this is not easy for someone who used to be so active to now be in a class where you spend half the time just laying there breathing. I'm nodding my head like crazy because I could not relate to this more. I used to take Alaria Baldwin's classes before she met Alec, and they were so intense and so hardcore, Uh and I loved them. And now I'm the person that goes to restorative classes, and I bring my friends, and they're like, I'm not paying money for this. We didn't do anything in there, Mm -hmm. but it's as much as I can handle, and it's me moving my body. And that's what you got to do. You've got to listen to your body Mm -hmm. and run with that. I could not. Or not run. (laughs) I could not agree with you more. So you mentioned saying to your husband you wanted to go out to dinner when you felt like you were feeling better all of a sudden. What has dealing with your health been like while being in this relationship? How has that affected your marriage? There's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) So what do you got? 
So for starters, sometimes it's harder for your loved one when your person is sick. He recently shared with me that for a period of time, he thought that this was it, that I was on my way out. And that's really horrible. That's a horrible and absolutely terrifying way to feel. And while feeling that way, he nevertheless supported me, did everything in his power never to show me how scared he was, which, of course, I'm so grateful for. But now that we're a few years out from the worst of it, you know, the fog is starting to lift and he's starting to really share with me his experience. And what's so hard about being the support person is that he's he was almost just as sick as I was, right? But like not not physically, he didn't have it, but he was right there with me. But he couldn't ever complain or be upset about it to me because he knew that wouldn't help me. The biggest thing is like he doesn't want to make me feel bad for how he feels about it. Like he's angry too about the situation. His entire life had to change too because of what happened. Like you go into a marriage with someone one way and then something happens and shifts your world dramatically and you have to reorganize your entire life around it. So I was the one that was sick, but he was the one navigating the ship 100%. And it sounds like you were relying on him, but was he relying on someone else for support? I mean, you know how I, I hate to generalize, but you you know how men are. Um, generally, the only person that they really share certain tough emotions with is their significant other. And his significant other was not really available for that. So I think that that was a struggle for him. And so it sounds like the conversations are coming out now that you're in remission a bit more about what that period was like for him because he didn't really have an outlet to discuss this. He didn't. And yes, that's correct. We're kind of unpacking a lot of it now. It's great that you're doing that. Whether you wish it happened then or not, the fact that you're able to discuss it is huge. Yeah, I mean... We talk about it periodically. We kind of like jog our memory and put ourselves back in that place. And by the way, I might be in remission, but I'm still struggling on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis. So we're still dealing with it. But I'm so lucky because my husband and I are able to kind of like look back at photos and laugh together about the whole thing, how crazy it is. Laughter is so important through this all. You said you're still struggling. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear a little bit about what that means on a day-to-day basis. I know you're not working at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, You're managing life with a new baby. But what does struggling mean? So let's just talk, I guess, pre-baby. There are a few things that I have to do every single day if I want to stay in remission I need to obviously take my medication. I need to exercise and do my physical therapy. I need to eat the right foods. I need to rest during the day. And I need to get really good sleep at night, quality sleep. 
So those five things are my priorities. Where a healthy person, a person not living with a physical illness or disability is able to do a lot of shit every single day, right? Like you're able to wake up, make yourself breakfast, go to the gym, go to the grocery store, maybe run another errand, maybe go to yoga, come home, empty the dishwasher, you know, do your hair, whatever, go to bed, right? So that's like 10 different things that you just did throughout the day and like you probably didn't even think about it. Okay, so I'm sitting here and I wake up and I'm like, I look at my calendar and it's like, okay, you have one doctor's appointment. All right, that is my activity for the morning. I'm going to go to the doctor and then I'm going to come home from the doctor. And that's it. And then I'm going to lay on the couch for two hours. Because if I don't do that, I'm not going to be able to do anything in the afternoon. And so then I think, okay, now it's the afternoon. Now what do I want to do? Do I want to do an errand, which is productive? Or do I want to, like, I don't know, enjoy my life a little (laughs) and, like, do something fun, like get coffee with a friend? And that's it for the day. That's it. I got those two things because, like I said, I got to rest. I need time to prepare my food. I need the time and the strength to prepare my food because I can't just order Seamless and eat whatever crap they're throwing in there. So I think that that's the biggest struggle every single day is that you're just constantly thinking about what I can do. Should I do this? Should I not do this? How do I prioritize this over that? You know, you get text messages from friends who want to see you and hang out with you. And like, you just can't. You just can't. Because if I go and hang out with a friend for two hours, or even if that friend comes over and hangs out with me for two hours, that's two hours of conversation. And that takes a lot out of me. Unfortunately, I wish it didn't. But that's just the fact. And if I have other things that have to get done, then sometimes friends have to take a back burner. And that's really hard. So where did pregnancy fit into all of this? This I'm like (laughs) trying to wrap my head around the fact that this is how you were running your life without a child. So what made you decide to get pregnant and what was that like? So my husband and I wanted kids forever especially him. (laughs) Then it was really scary when I got sick because we were not sure if I would be able to get pregnant. So flash forward, November 2016, I'm in remission, building my body back up again. By, I would say, July of the next year, I was actually feeling amazing. In fact, my husband and I went on a trip out to the Grand Tetons and we went on a hike every morning. Like, that's how good I felt. I was hiking. It was the only thing I did that day. But that's huge. But it was incredible. It was huge. So at that point, I knew, you know, I I was still in remission. And generally with these things, the longer you're in remission, the longer you're probably going to stay in remission. But by the time I was, like, going on hikes, I knew that, like, I felt good and strong enough to, like, hey, maybe let's see if I'm able to carry a baby. And I got the okays from my doctors, which was incredible and so grateful. Um, And I'm also so lucky because I had a really, you know, boring, uneventful pregnancy. That said, I took it so easy during that time. I mean, 
when I tell you that I really didn't do much other than grow this baby, like that was basically it. I did that. I went, I laid on the couch. I went to the doctor and I went to prenatal yoga. That was it. I didn't do anything. And, you know, I'm so lucky that I had such a great pregnancy. I felt so good while I was pregnant. I felt so healthy. I felt so strong, so alive. I did not think at all about, well, what happens after I have the baby? Because in my head, I'm like, God, I just feel so good. Of course I can take care of a baby. What would be so difficult? Like, I'm healthy. I'm strong. and But I'm healthy and I'm strong within the framework of my illness, actually. I'm not healthy and strong within the framework of regular people, healthy people. I didn't think about that. So you gave birth to your son in August of this mm-hmm. year, just a few months ago. And so what's that been like? Now that you actually have him in the world, what's your health been like? How's managing the baby? All of that. Well, for starters, it's a total mind fuck. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, I already had my mind fuck for life. Like, I got sick and that was it. Having a baby is just absolutely insane. I think in the beginning, you know, the first two weeks or even four weeks, you're in such a fog of postpartum, you know, you're totally sleep deprived. You don't know what hour of the day it is. You have this thing that's relying on you 100%. Your personal needs go totally out the window, which my friends had told me and I understood intellectually, but when you're in it, it's a totally different ballgame. So those first four weeks, I felt terrible physically, which made me feel terrible mentally. And I just kind of assumed that it was because I was, you know, two weeks postpartum, three weeks postpartum. And everyone's telling me, like, it's normal. It's normal to feel exhausted. It's normal to feel anxious. It's normal to cry. It is. All those things are super normal. But, like... There's, like, normal, and then there's, like, like at what point is it just, like, not normal? And the more I started opening up to people about, like, how I was actually feeling, the more I started to realize that, like, I was kind of crossing over into not normal territory. And the first thing I did was, like, tell my doctor, like, I'm, I, I'm not feeling like myself, and I, it's beyond the regular not feeling like yourself postpartum, right? Like I noticed like I like everything was like achy. Like all my muscles were so achy. And like the first four weeks, I just thought it was because I was recovering from pregnancy and childbirth. But then after that, I'm like, well, what the fuck's going on? Because I'm not getting any better. Like I actually just think I'm getting worse and worse. And what was your doctor's reaction to that? I have the best doctor in the world. And he takes everything I say very seriously, and he knows how in tune I am with my body. So the second I told him that I was feeling a little bit off, he took me really seriously. And we ran the appropriate tests um, and examinations. And sure enough, I was right. I was actually having a flare of my disease. I'm actually still in that flare right now. So learning this information... How did it affect your day-to-day life of managing a newborn, managing your health, going through these daily 
tasks. So the very first thing I realized really quickly was I cannot do this alone. I need help. And I think that at first I was a little bit in denial. I got, you know, a nanny two days a week. And even that was hard for me because I thought that I was going to be a full-time mom. Like, I don't work. Like, I thought that this was going to be my thing now, like being able to raise this baby. So, you know, I got someone to help me two days a week. And that was great, but it just wasn't enough. So I'm at a point now, my baby is three and a half months Um, I have actually a full-time nanny because when you think about it, I still have to do those five things I mentioned before, and those things take all day. And the only way that I can care for my baby at night and on the weekends is if I can focus on myself while the nanny is there. But coming to terms with the fact that I can't raise my child the way that I expected myself to be able to has been profoundly difficult because we often look at these things as a mark on our character. Like, I'm not able to care for my baby because I'm weak, because I'm not tough enough, because I don't have the balls, I don't have the strength, I'm a baby, I'm dramatic, right? Like, that's kind of how you see it. Like, Why am I so special that I don't have to work a job and I get to have full-time help? Like, that really can make you feel bad about yourself. So I was struggling with, again, my self-image, who I am as a mom. Why did I have a baby if I can't even take care of the baby? Right, like, these are the things I'm asking myself. And then one of my friends said something to me, which was kind of a game-changer recently. She said... You know what, Missy? It says so much more about your character that you recognized when something was wrong and you reached out and asked for help and that you're strong enough to take a back seat, put your health before your baby, which is almost impossible for most mothers to put themselves before their baby. But the fact that I was able to do that, you know, she made me feel like, That says so much more about who I am and my strength than anything else that's been going on. And I have to remind myself of that every single day. Every single day when I'm not able to lift my baby, I have to have the nanny do it. Every day when I'm not able to push a stroller up a street because I just don't have the strength or because I need to reserve it so that I can cook myself a healthy meal so that I can feel okay tomorrow, I remind myself that I'm doing this so that I can be the best mom I can be. Not the best mom in the world, just the best mom that I can be for my boy. And that's it. And I think I'm going to be struggling with that for a really long time. And it's just one more thing that I have to accept. And, you know, I remind myself that I got sick. I reorganized my life once around my sickness and I got to a really good place. And I'm just going to do that again. I so appreciate that you recognize that this is something that you had to do. You could have powered through whatever that means and been a mom and made that your priority, but you realized that in order to be the best mom possible, you had to put your health first. And I think that's really rare and it's got to be so difficult to wrap your head around and actually do. But it also shows that you didn't let your illness define you. 
and stop you from doing what you wanted to do in your life. And you said that you and your husband were adamant about having kids and here you are, you did that. And now you're managing what that looks like. So I give you so much credit and I can't imagine it's easy to navigate, but it's amazing that you have this wonderful husband, a nanny, family and friends that support you. Um, I can't imagine doing it without, I'm sure. I'm incredibly blessed. I really count my blessings every single day. Despite all of this, I feel so lucky and so grateful. um, And I really try to recognize that as often as possible. You mentioned you loved your doctor. I want to make sure we give this doctor a shout out in case anyone has (laughs) some sort of uh, clue into maybe I have this condition or whatnot. So who is your doctor? Dr. Mark Horowitz. (laughs) He is. He's here in New York on the Upper East Side. And he is my guardian angel, and he knows it because I remind him frequently. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and your experience. It's so, so valuable. So how can people connect with you and potentially learn more about what you've gone through? So I'm an open book and happy to talk to anyone at this point. And the best way to find me is on Instagram at Missy the Fabulous. (laughs) Love it. So (laughs) fitting. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com. Follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.